Hello and welcome to Tarot Electric. I am Mary Shock. I have a bit of tarot guidance for all of you today. And the card we got is the Ten of Swords. So the tarot today wants to not hold anything back. This is an intense card. So we've got a bit to talk about. The thing with the Ten of Swords, and this is the Rider Waite deck, so it's this classic person with ten swords in their back. They appear dead, but there is just the peak of maybe the sun rising up in the background, and this card, it's honestly overkill. So the guidance here is to look at the areas in our life that we are letting our own selves get in the way of our progress on our soul path and living our lives fully. Like we are, we are our own undoing with this card. And it all comes from our mental space and the anxieties and thought cycles that live within our head. And it's really us getting in our own way. Being a martyr, playing the victim, and really just letting our own thought cycles run wild until we have lost all control over our life and we feel completely overwhelmed. So this is super relevant, I feel like, at this time of the year, at least here in America, most of us are getting ready for holiday season, and this is definitely a time where we can take on too much responsibility and therefore become overwhelmed and burnt out. So I think this card really wants us to take a step back, look at the areas in which we are feeling completely burnt out, and then see what we can do with those pieces of our lives to readjust so that we are living our best life. So what responsibilities can you give to someone else? Where can you delegate? Where can you just say no? Where can you carve out time in your schedule for peace, quiet, calm, and just you doing you? So really want to encourage everyone to look at our own anxieties in this time and see how we can just calm the mind, make time for self-care, and know that any time when we feel this Ten of Swords energy, when we just feel bogged down, we feel run over, and we just can't keep going anymore, the truth is there's an upswing to this, there's a rebirth from within this, and there's a level of initiation here for sure. So some of these lessons we're learning, even though they're they're hurting us to learn them, it's necessary for us to kind of go to this extreme place in order to learn to scale back, to protect ourselves, and to set boundaries. So I hope that that resonates with all of you. It does resonate with me, and um, I just hope that we can all find a balance and a harmony in our lives. Don't do too much here. Okay, so I've got a couple announcements before the show. We have Tarot Club coming up on December 10th. 
That's a Sunday. It's going to be a holy underground, but at a different time from 2 to 3.30 p.m. We're going to talk about the Wheel of Fortune. You know that it's going to be amazing. I'd love to see you all there. You can join the Be More Tarot Club Facebook group for all the info. We've got Be More Astrology Club coming up the Sunday after that, December 17th. That's from 7 to 8.30 p.m. at Meta Wellness Center in Hamden. And you can join the Be More Astrology Club on Facebook, the Facebook group, to get all the details for that. And it's going to be great. We had a good first meeting. We're going to really focus moving forward and create... Uh, an, an astrology community that is enlightening and vibing. So I'm looking forward to that. We have tarot and cocktails coming up at Golden West. That's on December 10th. Also, just jumping back. Starts at 9. Get there early. It's going to be so fun. So bring a magical friend and get a tarot reading. That's going to be amazing. I am working now to plan for... Tarot class I'm teaching with Baltimore Reclaiming, and that's coming up on January 21st. I will put the link to the event in the show notes. It's going to be literally amazing, so I hope that folks in Baltimore can come out. All levels, if you're an expert, you're going to learn something new. If you're a beginner with tarot, you're going to have your world opened up. It's an all-day tarot intensive, and it's going to be experiential and experimental. So I hope to see you all there. I feel like those are my main announcements, and I just appreciate all of you for listening. This show is very special. I know you're going to enjoy it and really get a lot out of it. I want to thank from the bottom of my heart, Pata Soyumoto, my friend and guest on the podcast today. Pata is a Reiki master, a teacher of all things, an artist, an activist, and a generally cool person. And I feel lucky to be your friend, Pata. So thank you for coming on the show. And I hope all of you enjoy. Pata. Thank you so much for joining me on Tarot Electric. It's truly an honor to have you here. Well, I am so glad to be here with you, Mary. Aw. This has been a little while in the making. I feel like as soon as I really put my podcast dream into motion, I knew that you were a person that I was going to have to have on Tarot Electric as my Reiki teacher a and just a general magical person and mentor for me. I really appreciate you in my life and I appreciate you being on the podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. And I, you know, of course, of course, right. (laughs) Meant to be. Meant to be. So as we were chatting about, there's so much that you and I could talk about for an hour on the podcast, but I really want folks to meet you, to meet Pata Soyamoto and to understand who you are and what your your journey is. So could you give us a little intro of who you are, what you do, and we know you're teacher, artist, healer, Reiki master, bike master, like so jewelry maker. I could literally go on and on. So who are you? That's a hard question. <laughs> um, but I mean, just in terms of who I am, because all of those things are what I do, not who I am. But 
this is sort of interesting to think about. But anyway, um, parts, I have, um, I think, six business cards, literally six business cards, different business cards. One for my artwork, for jewelry making. I make uh, spiritual jewelry with the gemstones and the metaphysical properties of the stones. And um, I love doing that for individuals who really um, maybe need healing or you know, I, I often ask them what they want to manifest in their life, and I've made confidence necklaces, and I've made for people starting a new job, and so they really want something, you know, that helps them with that, and so, uh, so I have one business card for that, and I have a business card for Reiki and for other magical kinds of things, like I do um, house clearings or, um, you know, various, uh, I've done hand fasting, rituals with people um, in addition to being a Reiki master and teaching Reiki and being out there giving Reiki and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, I teach bicycle riding. I have another card that has bicycle riding. So I teach people how to ride bicycles, people who have never ever ridden ever or up to people who want to get on the road and or you know are training for a triathlon. I'm not a coach I, you know but I can get people to the point of thinking about a training plan and all that kind of stuff. So. I do that range of things, and um, which is also interesting enough. It's all spiritual stuff, though, because like the bicycle riding teaching, for instance, is um, about mm, eighty percent fear management for people. It's helping them on their path, and I'm always saying bike riding is like um, life. You have to be moving forward. You can't pedal back. You have to move. You have to pedal forward. It's forward motion. It has to do with you know keeping your balance and that kind of thing. So. Um, so I, I feel that all of that is not, it's not just like bike riding, it's, it's like the spiritual and, and people who are learning to bike ride, um, often it's something that they have felt shame about, they don't know, you know, they, they feel very, um, it's just a big deal. So I, I'm, I'm blessed to be on that journey with them, you know. Um, and um, the, the other thing I do is I have a card, I'm a mental health activist, so I work in the Asian American community specifically on issues of mental health, um, and sometimes these things kind of come together. Recently I had a, um, a student, a bike riding student, who was learning how to ride on the street, and she was going to go away overseas for a trip, and this trip, um, you know, was a bike riding trip. Anyway, but she, she couldn't because she got a diagnosis of breast cancer. And one of the organizations I work for called Asian Women for Health, we do work with breast cancer, with cancer survivors and trauma survivors. And so I was able to hook her up to that organization and getting support and everything. And it was just really beautiful because it was like this sort of like way, okay, so I do this and I do this and it all connects and it's all about helping people. Um, so... And then I'm trying to think of, oh, I also do, I'm also a PhD in education, <laughs> so I do some education consulting and tutoring and stuff like that, um, which, you know, it's all about, like, learning and a spiritual path and that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. So what we can see is that, A, you're busy. Yes. Right? And I see, I love that you connect the spirituality to everything that you do and being a teacher it mm -hmm. covers everything, Absolutely. right? Like you're just a born teacher. I, that's how I feel. I yeah. feel like I was born to be a teacher and I resisted it for a while because I thought, particularly teaching in schools, I thought, oh gosh, you know, I don't want to go into a school system and be all 
you know, all the politics in the school systems and everything. So I ended up, but I, I did end up going to school and becoming a classroom teacher and then a professor. And, um, and but, you know, I'm not doing those things now, but I'm teaching is like woven into my life. And I, um, I say I'm blessed. I've taught everything I've ever loved to do, which is true. I mean, I've taught art. I've taught Reiki. I've taught um, bicycle riding. I've taught English. I've taught writing. I've taught poetry. I've taught um Science. I've taught biology, which is fascinating to me too. I mean, I've taught a lot of things. I've taught spiritual things, you know. I feel lucky to be able to like receive your teaching, you know, especially in the Reiki spiritual realm. It's yeah. been a real blessing for me. Well, I'm, I'm really glad because I, you know, I feel like that's really special. Uh, the whole spiritual mentoring and just and understanding how you know, to be a spiritual being walking the earth and every day, right? Because that's, I think, people who are really in the spiritual path, that's what I've come to. And we talked a little bit before we started about um, my own personal healing journey. And um, I mean, the way I became a mental health activist was because I, I was, um, I struggled with depression since I was 12. So, um, and that, um, that experience of going down deep in dark, you know, um, is the very dark goddess, right? I mean, you go down deep, you go down dark, and then with work and blessings, you come out. You know, and I feel like I, I, um, I don't know if you, do you know the, um, the in, uh, story of Inanna? I do. Yeah. You got me really interested in Inanna because you gave me those goddess cards. Yes. You know, and I remember you finding her card and saying, I really, you resonated with her. And then recently I've read another story that really beautifully described her journey mm -hmm. and with her sister, right? Yes. And the whole thing. And I was thinking of you the whole time I read it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Inanna, you know, she goes down um, to her sister who is, in the under underworld, right? And I'm, I'm not going to tell the whole story because I'm not even sure I can get all the details right. So if you're interested in it, you should all read it. About right. It. But, but the fact that she goes down, in the process of going down, she has to take off. She's the queen of earth and heaven. She has to take off all of her queenly vestments mm -hmm. and to go down and to, to meet her sister. And a lot of stuff happens. But the, that going down and just being basically bare, bones, bare naked kind of thing, you know, um, I think is, is sort of a, a, um, analogous to what happens when people get really depressed. It's like it's, everything's to the basics. It's like you can't, you know, like eating and sleeping and doing anything small is hard because you have to like strip down to like the very basics kind of thing. And I feel like, you know, the journey is to be able to then come back out of the darkness, you know, um, and um, I feel like, you know, my journey has taken me, I mean, I, I may have been depressed since I was 12, I had a very bad bout of it when I was like 35, 36, that has basically lasted, you know, 20 years, you know, um, but it's gotten a lot better, I mean, when I first, you know, was struggling so much, um, I mean, I, you know, I couldn't get out of bed, basically. I would have three, double cappuccinos and still need a nap, which, you know, it sounds crazy, but it's, that's what was going on. And, um, I had to leave my regular job. It was really hard. And like the thing about it is that, um, 
what what I turned to was my spiritual path. That was one of the things I figured that art and spirituality; those are the two things that that sustained me. Um, and having a daughter. I mean, having a daughter was the trump card. I had a daughter, um, you know, um, and it was definitely, you know, I, I when I had a daughter, I I made a promise that I was going to be there for her. That was like, that's the contract, I believe that, about mothers and children, you know, our families, but mothers in particular, um, that you sort of, you have a contract, you have a baby. It's like, they didn't have that choice. You you brought the baby into the world. So anyway, so, but she she was a reason to live and to grow. But but to do that, I had to go through my own process. You know, to, to be there for her, I had to be, do the work on myself. So what did that, if you can and feel comfortable sharing, like what did that work look like in terms of finding health in your mental, emotional space and like working with the spirituality? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, before I had the, the sort of serious bout or whatever, I don't know, um, I had started on a path of being a solitary practitioner um, um, neo-pagan, Wiccan, whatever. I mean, I don't, the language doesn't suit me. I call myself an urban shaman because I feel like that's better. That's much better, you know, for me. Um, because I combine all of these things into a healing practice, you know, um, sort of who I am is about, I feel like everything I do is sort of healing, you know, like, like healing people from their childhood traumas and bike riding, you know, <laughs> I mean, really. So, um, but, you know, I also, I guess, you know, the, um, the most, the most important thing for me was just realizing that I, um, that there was something bigger than I was or am, that there was, there was, there were things that I didn't understand. And that was okay. It was okay I didn't understand them. But it was also important to know that um, I was not necessarily, um, I, mean, I feel like I have agency, but I also feel like the, the universe kind of takes care of us and like gives us messages and things like that. So it's not like like you have the entire power to, to make your life whatever. You know, it's like, it's an interaction. It's a dialectic or something between your agency and the universe's you know, will and power or something like that. So I, when I when I was really really depressed, you know, I just sort of started doing more ritual, being you know, I have, I have a prayer practice I do, you know, um, I have a rit- uh, an altar that I've created. I'm very interested in different kinds of altars too, like you know, that are spaces, sacred spaces, creating sacred spaces around your house and in your space. Um, even when I was a professor. I was a professor for a while before I, I stopped working there, um, but I, I had a, like a little altar in my office, you know, and that kind of thing. So I just felt like it was really important to have that spiritual reminder and that spiritual presence in different places that I was. Um, so what I did, I mean, I did a lot of spiritual work. I did um, a lot of collage. A lot of collage. Um, really, some of it was very dark and kind of crazed praised collage and you can actually look if you look at my collages you can actually see a transformation in terms of what I sort of as I start coming out of that deep 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 darkness 
I'm not saying for myself, I mean, I, I still struggle with depression, it goes up and down, but it's like not that intensity um, that basically derails your entire life, because that's what happened. My life was totally derailed, it's not what I expected, not what I wanted, but that, there I was. So, um, and then, I mean, I also did a lot of other practices, I mean, I did, I, mean, I, I was getting acupuncture. Actually, at one point, I got to the point where I was like, you know, all this medical stuff wasn't doing anything. You know, I'm, I'm, I have what they call treatment-resistant depression, which means I've been on more than three drugs with, that have failed. Um, I've, I've probably been on, mm, I don't know, 50 drugs that have failed. <laughs> Luckily, I'm on some medication now that helps, and I, you know, I'm one of these people that feels like whatever works works for people and that people have their own choices. I'm not dogmatic about any of it. Like, not like, you have to take medications, or you don't have to take medications, you know, it's like, everyone has to find their own path, but so, so I did, I do medications, and I, I have a therapist, um, I'm very lucky, I have a therapist I, who has been fabulous, um, it wasn't always that way, I had some really nasty therapists, but anyway, but um, I have a good, solid relationship with a therapist, so that's sort of that Western, you know, kind of treatment stuff, and then I also, I've done acupuncture, and my acupuncture has saved my life at, at certain points. I mean, I would say, you know, Steve, I need, I'm, I feel like I'm going to end up in the hospital. I'm going to end up, you know, dead. And he'd be like, you're going to come every day. I was like, okay, I'll come every day. So he would, he would treat me. And even when I couldn't afford it, I babysat his kids. I mean, it was like, it was like really a relationship that was important. So I did acupuncture, sound healing, which was really interesting. Um, just the whole ways that, you know, sound can move energy. And then when I, I got introduced to Reiki, when I was doing acupuncture, um, and I took Reiki 1 and 2, and then, then took the master's levels, and um, found that I could do Reiki on myself, and then I could heal other people, and that, that moving outward, too. Like, once I got to the point where I had some healing, I started moving outward. So, you know, going and doing things around uh, uh, Reiki, you know, teaching Reiki, uh, teaching um, collage. I developed a workshop with a, um, a woman, another woman, Gail, um, on loving-kindness collo meditation collage. And so we took the loving-kindness meta and we, we played that. And then we have people do collages based on their own, um, on, on really looking at themselves and being compassionate for themselves. So we do this sort of healing collage thing. And so, you know, that's been really really powerful and it's such a gift to be in the presence of people who are learning and who are learning about themselves and who are like you know trying to put the pieces together and so I feel very honored in that way um, and then I started riding by my bicycle you know I'm, I'm I met my partner and he was a big athlete and I've never been an athlete in my entire life I mean in high school I was in the literary magazine you know and and that was a good place for me I you know, a writer whatever but um but I started riding my bicycle and learned that I loved it. I loved riding my bicycle. And, um, but that was also healing. You know, that just, I mean, even from the endorphins that kick in from, from exercise to, um, I mean, bicycle riding is very freeing. You know, it's that feeling of like, wee, I get to go out and be outside and stuff like that. So that, um, that was part of my healing as well. Um, and I feel like, um, and I've always done stuff with jewelry making for a long time. And I do, um, as I said before, I do stuff with the metaphysical properties of the stones. 
I like to do custom work, but I also, you know, work with the stones for myself, you know, and I use them in, in my energy work with people, um, the stones and the herbs. We talked about herbs a little bit. I was, uh, I took an apprenticeship um, in the Gaia School um, uh, for er Western herbs, and um, that apprenticeship includes a lot, a lot of working spiritually with the herbs, so not just you know, physically, on the physical realm, on the spiritual realm, too, on the energetic realm. And I found that that particular realm very powerful to incorporate into energy work with the Reiki, with other energy healing I do, and with, um, you know, with the stones. So I feel like, you know, if people are open to it, I can bring all those gifts to a treatment or to a, a session, um, and that's really helpful. And that, again, that moving outward you know, I mean, working with other people and not getting so bogged down in one's own misery um, is, has been really healing, too. Ooh, I have so many, like, areas in every all the wonderful things you just shared that I want to kind of elaborate on. But what's coming to me and what you just shared was this. And I find people coming in the spiritual community with this same kind of feeling of, maybe something that you can help us with and address in terms of if I'm feeling like I need to do personal spiritual work and I have healing work to do, sometimes I think we come up against a feeling of how can I heal others mm -hmm. if I'm still working on healing myself? But I feel like you can do it all. And so can you share with us about that? Like what can we do when we feel this way or what do you think about it? Well, I feel a couple of things. One is that... Um, that we we have to we do have to take care of ourselves first. That's true. I mean, people get really burnt out, and they can be healers. They can be so burnt out from doing their work that they don't have an ounce left for themselves or for anyone else, really. Right? I mean, we see that all the time. I mean, in Western medicine, we see it all the time. These burnt out doctors. How can they heal anybody else, really? How can they? Um, but I also I also think that there's there's like a um, the wounded healer. You know, that idea of the wounded healer and the fact that in some ways having those wounds allows us to have the compassion for other people with wounds. You know, I mean, if I never experienced uh, the darkness, how am I going to understand your darkness? And Or the stretch is bigger. Let's just put it that way. You know what I mean? Like, like people, I don't think you have to experience everything to be the, ex, you know, to be able to relate to somebody because that would mean that no one would ever relate to each other, really, right? So I do think, though, that you know, the wounded healer allows us to be able to say, yes, I am on a healing path, too, but I have something to offer to you. And, and you know, it's, 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 also, it's, a, um, it's a little bit of a dance, you know, because you have to be able to know yourself well enough to know when you need to retreat, too. You have to know yourself well enough to know when you need to regroup. Because a lot of times people will be, Wounded will be giving and giving and giving and giving and then find themselves flat out, which I, is not a really good model. It's like that, that sort of in-between piece where, where you can you go out and you help other people, and that is its own energy. That creates its own energy, and that, that, that helping thing can, can come back and actually help you. But you can also be, and particularly as women, I think, as women, we are um, givers usually, not always, but like a lot of times women have the paradigm of giving. And that is a good thing because 
you know, women get lots of things done because of that paradigm. I mean, yes, we do. At the same time, we can give to the point of not knowing who we are or where we are or what we have anymore for ourselves. So I think that that's, that's the thing. I, and I also, I also feel like I, I once took a meditation class, and in this meditation class, the there were different teachers, and we each got to talk to a teacher. And I ended up talking to a teacher who was not only a meditation master or whatever he was, but he was also a, a, either a former psychologist or a psychologist too. And I was deep in depression. I mean, I was not doing very much of anything. And he, and he said, you know, you have, from your um, pain, you have the ability to be more compassionate to people who are suffering than someone who has never experienced that pain. And that really stuck with me. You know, the idea that my experience is a window. He actually used the word window. A window into, into, into different people's experiences. You know, and I think we need to hold that and hold the fact that our painful experiences are also wisdom. It's not something to throw out. It's like when, when you go through a painful experience, you go, hopefully we get to go through them, not get stuck in them, but, you know, we go through them and then, and that, you know, a lot of times people don't want to think about it. I'm not going to think about it, you know, kind of thing. But I also think that not thinking about it or not owning it is actually a way of denying part of yourself. As you're denying an experience that, that was that shaped you, you know. And so I, I kind of feel like, you know, what they say, you don't know the light unless you know the darkness, you know. That. So you have to have the balance. And, and, and yeah, I mean, people have hard stuff, you know, and that we can be open to to engaging that hard stuff. And um, and I think as a culture, we're, we don't do that very well. I agree. We don't. We don't engage the hard stuff well. And when people are going through hard stuff, we don't want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. or lots of people don't want to hear about it. They don't take the moment to say, you know, are you okay? And I, I don't know. Like recently I saw a woman who was out, where was she? Was I was on the train. She was crying. You know, and I, I stood there for a moment, and I just decided to say, are you okay? She was, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I just hope that that moment of, like, acknowledging that, because, you know, it's weird. I, you know, you, you, I don't, I don't want to make it better for her. I just want to, you know, know as, a, you know, as a human, right? As a human, is there anything that I could do that would make this moment better for you? And that's just holding space, that's right? right? That's right. Holding the space. And, and you know, we don't, we don't do that much, no. and, and, and we don't do it for strangers even less, you know, like that holding of space, like, you know, acknowledging something that's going on. Right. We don't do it for strangers, and I feel like sometimes we don't do it for ourselves either. That's true. It might be easier to do that for the person you love, a family member, the person right next to you that you love. Like, maybe you can go to them and say, what's wrong? Like, I'm here for you, mm -hmm. but if it's so outside of ourselves and that it's a stranger, then it's like distance. And if it's ourselves, then it's push it down. Push it right? down. Right, right, right. Just get get on with it, mm -hmm. right? And I think, you know, we have those messages. I mean that's part of the culture says I mean, you know, when when um when someone dies, it's like in two weeks people expect you to be over it. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. I'm sorry. That's yeah. insane. You know, and I mean we just had the Baltimore ceasefire mm -hmm. here and um I, I feel like um, a lot of times, you know, when something like that happens, when someone dies, is murdered, then it's even more problematic because people don't, they don't, they don't, they don't know what to do with it first, and they don't know how to hold the space for anybody. Yeah, and um, 
I think that's something, particularly in the spiritual community, that we could do better with in our, our own communities, is to be able to say, is to really, you know, take the time to just sort of say, you know, is, what's going on with you? And really be present for the other person, too. You know, in little ways, I think it would make such a difference. Yeah, I agree. But I really appreciate that you were able to visit for this very special weekend we just had with the Baltimore ceasefire and that you and I were able to do some work around that and hold space for the other people doing work because I feel like Baltimore is learning slowly but surely. And you're right, it's super problematic, especially when we're dealing with homicide and it just gets so complicated with issues of racism in the city so spiritual leaders of baltimore or, or communities not feeling um not being able to hold space for the homicides because of how intense they are and i feel like because it's all like in baltimore so many black people are losing their lives mm -hmm. so it's this distance that the white spiritual community gets and i feel like mm -hmm. um I feel like we're all slowly but surely learning and coming together. Mm -hmm. So I just appreciate you being here and, and able to hold some space with me in the way that we were. It was so meaningful. And that for me too, I mean, that brings me to some, one other thing that I do actually, which I sort of forgot, which is I do social justice work. Mm -hmm. In fact, in all of, the, all of the spheres that I'm in, you know, and particularly as a person of color, I feel like, you know, as an Asian American woman, you know, I've experienced a lot of injustice and certainly the injustices of the past. I mean, my father was interned during the war. So, um, you know, in World War II, um, he was in a camp. And, you know, there's a way in which I don't think that as conscious beings we, we can separate the social justice work from anything else we do. It's like the spiritual work. It's all connected, you know, and it, it really drives me crazy to be honest, when, you know, when there is um, a lack of understanding or a lack of willingness to really address the issues of racism in the white spiritual community. It totally drives me nuts. And, you know, and for me, I mean, I do a lot of work with a lot of white women. And, you know, that's that's okay. I mean, and I, I love that. I love, I love my, my, you know, my spiritual women friends and that kind of thing but sometimes I feel like wait a minute okay all right so you you're on a spiritual path but you're not going to engage me into this, this the hard discussion about race right that's yeah. what happens to me and what happens to me is like a lot of times like I'll have a racist experience and you know you know you walk into a store and they they look at you cross-eyed you know you know you just know you know and and but the people you know like my I have white friends say that wasn't racist yeah they'll say that stuff and because they don't want to they don't want to know you know there's a sense of like ah that's that's you know that's a whole nother realm but i don't think we can do healing work individual healing work without looking at cultural and institutional healing work too I mean, Completely. I just can't, I just, and that part of that work, particularly at this very moment in our history, has to be around racial social justice. I agree. And I feel like it echoes what we were saying earlier with the Anana story of we have to go to that darkest place. Mm -hmm. We have to look at 
the problems that we have within our society, within the systems of our society and the individuals. So all of it, and we really have to acknowledge racism and how much it exists in order to come up and out of it, right? That's right. That's and people right. don't want to go to that dark place. No. And they don't want to they don't want to feel bad. Sure. And I get it. You don't want to feel bad. You don't want to feel bad and, you know, but at the same time, there are ways that I mean, just from my own experience, mm-hmm. like feeling feeling discomfort, feeling pain, feeling anguish, feeling grief. That's all, those are all really important things to feel about something that is pretty sucky. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I mean, the ways that, you know, people have been oppressed. And, and, you know, every group has oppressed, well, I think, yeah, basically most groups have oppressed somebody else somewhere along the line, right? I mean, um, but um, it's also the case. So, I mean, but to own that, you know, like that, that those actions, those oppressive actions, and the ways that it work, the way that oppression works in our culture, um, is hard. It's just hard. It's because it means to say that I am not always a good person, right? And if I'm not always a good person, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to be that person, right? Right. But a lot of times people get stuck, and rather than say, "Gee, I am not always a good person." what can I do to change that and to bring it around and to make it different so I can be better in this area? They're not willing to do the looking at just the fact that, you know, that, I mean, you can't escape, I believe, you can't escape being racist in our culture. You can't escape it because the messages are so strong and, you know, we've been brought up in this thing. But we, we can't escape having those thoughts or, you know, the dichotomy, the, uh, all the stuff, you know, that happens. I agree. Um, but we can acknowledge it and work on it. Exactly. You know, and, and there are many ways to do that. I mean, and th- that's the other thing. You know, I mean, not everyone has to be marching in the street. They don't. I mean, you can hold space for people. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you can do spiritual practice. And I'm not just saying let's just pray for no racism. I'm not saying right. that. You know, I'm saying that, you know, having a spiritual path, one would hope would leave you open to the idea that there are many realities and there are many ways of being and that, you know, that perhaps one way, I mean, this is my hope about spirituality, and we, we, we all know that there are very dogmatic, dogmatic spiritual paths that don't, um, they don't resonate with me, certainly. Um, but I also feel like, like, you know, a true spiritual path where, you know, where you're really looking at who you are and trying to do good in the world and all that kind of stuff, you know, you're, you're also thinking about, you know, well, what is, who am I and how do I relate and being able to look at yourself a little bit. Yeah. 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 It's just yeah. that inward looking, right? I just feel like, you know, the first baby step has to be, you know, just being aware and then listening and like allowing women of color and black people, people of color to share their stories and then for mm-hmm. white spiritual communities and white people in general just to listen yep. and not to deny. That's right. Right? Like that's right. got to be the first bare minimum. Right. right. So thanks right. for coming and like sharing with us, you know, and yeah. everyone that listened to this podcast and didn't stop it when it got tricky, you yeah. know, and right. made them uncomfortable right. and that kept listening. Like that's 
That's the first step. That is right? true. That's absolutely true. And I also feel like it's it's like important and as a as a personal as an educator and a person of color both. You know, I, I feel like I mean what I can do as an individual and not you know, everybody has their own path, like, you know, but I feel like I can say thank you. Thank you for for just listening and not putting in your thing and not trying to get, you know, out of the you know, out of it, right? Because it right. might be uncomfortable, but being uncomfortable is not the end of the world. Being I'd rather feel uncomfortable than feel like a shitty person later. You Good know? point. Yes. Yes. How does, so how does your work in mental health serve Asian American women specifically? Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's in a similar mm-hmm. track, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, so, I mean, I do a lot of different kinds of things around Asian American mental health. Um, I'm a wellness coach, and there's a program called Achieving Whole Health, Body, Mind, Spirit that is in the Asian American community, and it was developed to be a wellness program for Asian Americans um, with the cultural uh, relevant, you know, material in in the program. Um, And the the reality is that um, Asian American women ages 15 to 25 have one of the highest depressive, has the highest depressive symptoms and the second highest suicide rate of women who, um, you know, who are struggling and that way. Um, and Asian American elder women also have a huge, uh, uh, they're on the highest suicide rate. So, you know, so there's an issue, there's a problem in this, in our community, in the Asian American community about these issues. And so I, I, what I do is I, I, the Breaking Silences Project, I'm a co-founder of something called the Breaking Silences Project, which is a project about Asian American women in mental health. It's an education project, really. Um, we have three sort of tracks. One is on um, their performance piece. We wrote a play, actually, and I'm, I'm in the play, I'm a, and, which is sort of funny because, I, I mean, I've done a little acting, but not really. And the woman who I work with, Christina Chan, is an actor by training and a playwright by training. And she, um, when we, and I'm a writer, so I wrote a lot of it, and we worked together. And but she was funny because at one point I say, "So, Christina, are you gonna like do a you know one woman show, or are you gonna, you know, get uh, another actor?" And she goes, "No, you're doing it." I'm like, "Really? I am. Okay, all right, I'll try." So we have the show that we do it, and we we have an excerpt with just ten minutes that we do a lot of conferences and to open up you know, forums and classes and all kinds of things. So we, we, we do that. We also have a, um, I do a lot of speaking engagements uh, where I incorporate my own personal story in relation to like, culturally competent care and like, you know, issues around um, parenting and being depressed or all these kinds of things, you know, these sort of important issues that, um, and, and I, I share my personal story in relation. And, you know, part of, Part of the whole being the Asian American community is Asian Americans. It's very stigmatized in our communities, and um, I think that you know, to be able to break the stigma, you have to be able to talk about it and talk about our experiences. So I I do a lot of that. Um, I talk at many conferences and that kind of stuff, um, and and I, I do a lot of work on committees. Um, there's the Asian American Mental Health Forum that happens in Boston every year. We're on the ninth year. I've been doing it nine years. 
um, and um, it's a great little conference. But it, the thing that it does is it brings people who have mental health concerns with lived experience, practitioners, researchers, and policymakers at the same table on the same level. And we've worked really hard to do that. And I'm always yelling at people saying, no, what about the people with lived experience? Like, how are they going to see this? We're not talking down to us. <laughs> you're, t you're talking with us, and we have important information for you, too, you know. So um, I do that, and I'm on a number of other committees. I'm on the Department of Public Health Suicide Prevention Community Advisory Board and things like that. So I do that work. And then we have the other thing that Breaking Silence Project does is we are hopefully working on a book. I mean, we it, it hasn't been in full force yet. We started trying to get people to write pieces, but it's so stigmatized in our community, no one's no one's willing to write. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking about doing some interviewing, but we haven't we haven't gotten there yet. So yeah, so those are some of the things I do. The work that you're doing is literally saving lives. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And one of the things is the last um, piece, the last phrase in our play is, and together we might just save each other's life. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 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 So, You're amazing. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is going to be a little bit of a segue, but mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about your work with crystals and the herbs in the Reiki. Energy, the energy work. Is, that, is this mm -hmm. a cool time to chat sure. about that? Sure. Um, I think the thing about, um, I mean, as, as a, so you've heard this from me before, that there are a couple different ideas about how to use Reiki, right? That's like Reiki and only Reiki ever. Like, it's like there are people who feel like you, you learn Reiki and you only use that as your treatment modality. And that's fine. And I mean, I can, I can do that for anyone who wants a Reiki session, just Reiki, straight up Reiki, you know. But I also feel like, um, you know, a lot of times we have other gifts. You have tarot and, and, you know, your work with herbs and, you know, and I have herbs and my work with stones. And you work with stones too, but you know what I'm saying. But um, so I have used um, the energetics of the stones and of the herbs in conjunction with the Reiki to create a, a treatment that, um, you know, energy treatment that uses different pieces. So, like, um, the herbs, I sometimes I'll actually sprinkle herbs on people or around them. You know, sometimes I'll use them in, like, these sort of bags and do the energy through them. But different herbs have different kinds of uh, qualities, you know, like burdock is ground, very grounding. And so I might do something on the root chakra with burdock or... Um, you know, uh, that, that, that's a really clear example. But like, yeah. You know, but sometimes I'm called to use different herbs with a, a, a client or whatever. Um, the stones are similar. You know, you might use uh, a green stone, a jade, and a heart chakra kind of thing, and work with that. You know, um, you might. Um, you know, some of the stones. Um, I mean, like throat chakra stuff with lapis or turquoise or you know those kinds of those kinds of stones um and the thing that's so interesting about stones and herbs is that it's not a one note you know what i mean like they all have multiple things that they're doing and it works on a lot of different levels so you know if you're if you're looking at um 
you know, dandelion root or something like that. That's another one that's like, you know, you can really use for a grounding thing, but it's also very, you know, cleansing in certain ways and that kind of stuff. So, so you, whenever you're dealing with herbs, you're also, you know, you're dealing with multiple properties and same with stones. I think it's multiple properties. And you read one of those crystal books and it's like, you know, one crystal will have 20 different things, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, but, you know, and so my feeling is that it, it all comes together you know, and I tend to work intuitively. Um, I mean, when I do Reiki, I tend to do an intuitive, more of an intuitive session and then really get a sense of, well, what does this person need around the stones or the herbs? I don't always use stones and herbs. It depends on the person. It depends on what's going on. Um, I also do another kind of uh, energy work called key. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll use that instead because it just feels like it, that's needed. So I like to approach, you know, someone coming for a treatment with what, what is, what's needed here, you know, and sometimes, um, sometimes I need to talk, sometimes I don't, you know, sometimes I need the herbs, sometimes I, you know, that doesn't feel called for, um, but and, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, sometimes I give homework. <laughs> I've done that before. But, yeah. When you showed me your to-go box of, like, Reiki, you know, mystical to-go box, I was like, oh, my gosh. Because it was so good and so packed with, you know, crystals. And, and then the herbs, it really it really struck me. I thought that was so cool. I'd never mm. read about anyone doing that. And you right. showed me how you would have the little bags of herbs and you can put them right on somebody's body, yeah, right? right? So you might put that's the right. burdock root either loose on their feet or even in the bag right on their feet right, and just give right. the Reiki right through right, that, right? Right, right. Or you it. turn them over and you put it right on the herb, on that, at the sacrum. Oh, you know yeah. I mean? Like, you know, not even oh, on sure. feet. Yeah, you know. Where, so, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that's so great. It's so funny. I call that 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 to-go box, my spiritual kit. Yes. And it has, um, what does it have in it? It has herbs. I mean, it has, you know, burdock, and it has cedar, and it has um, mugwort, and it has, I'm trying to think what else it has in it. It has uh, um, borage, which I love borage. You know borage? What is that? Borage is about letting go. Mm. And, like, a lot of times people do need to let go of shit, so... I find that yeah. in tarot. Yeah. Yeah. So much of my tarot yeah. work is telling people that. Yeah. Where would you put borage? Um, I mean, I'm it sure depends. it's different for everybody. It depends. Yeah. That one really depends. Sure. Yeah. But um, so I have the herbs, and then I have um, in the spiritual kit, I also have stones. I have bags of different kinds of stones. Some, you know, and I have numbers of bags of stones, depending. I also have bells. I have tingsha, and the bells are very clearing, too. I have a rattle. Because sometimes I will disperse energy with a rattle. Um, I have uh, some empowerment oil I made from my hands or for their hands. Or uh, I have um, candle, some sage, some smudge. So all that is in this little box that I take around with me. I love that. I need to develop one. I mean, yes, I definitely do. have some to-go stuff packed, but it's always... I need a box. You, you know, do. what I have are tote bags, and it's not quite the same. No. And when you have tote bags, things constantly have to get unpacked and repacked. Right. But if it was in a box, it would just be in the box. That's right. I got to get, you know, like right, a right. big toolbox, right? Yeah. I'm going to get one. It's actually a sidekick, an art bin sidekick. All right. I can get the same one mm -hmm. that you have. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Right. Yeah. No. 
when would you do the the energy clearing with the bells or the rattle? Would you like to do that mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. before a session starts? Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's interesting you ask that because I don't uh, usually use uh, the bells beforehand. I tend to use them at the end, oh. like just to clear everything. You know, at the very end. Nice. Um, in the beginning, I will. I tend to use the Reiki symbols and yes. the Reiki energy to clear that to clear it. Yeah. Which I've been start. working a lot with that too, and I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that helps. And so I'll tend to do that at the beginning. And then um, in terms of the rattle, that has to do more with if I feel like a real energy clog up, you know, okay. like to just kind of break it up, you know, it breaks up the energy. Okay. Um, so I'll tend to do that in the middle of a session. Sure. And then the bells at the end. That's sort of how I've worked. I, there's no like, uh, you know rules yeah <laughs> there's no rules but that's that's what i tend to do mm. and i like the bells as kind of like a final thing like this we're clearing the you know what we've been doing and i don't know i love that that's just me so what about with crystals and also like with crystals and your jewelry making practice mm -hmm. how do you i don't know what crystals do you like right now how do you know what's good for somebody mm -hmm. what's coming mm -hmm. up with crystals for you yeah. right now crystals um it's interesting when I when I make a necklace for someone, for instance, I, I would do a lot. We have a lot of conversation about um, about you know what they like and what I mean because I want to make something they're going to wear, right? You don't want to make a powerful healing necklace with colors they hate. You just don't. It, it doesn't work, right? So you, what you do is you say, uh, you know, what colors you wear. You know, are you know, trying to figure out what, what's your favorite season. I often ask them what their favorite season is. You know, what clothes. They tend to wear what colors and that kind of thing and then so I start with sort of the person and then I ask them things like what do you want to manifest in your life what are particular problem areas that you'd like to see resolved those kinds of things and then I sit down and um, you know with all that information and some of it is around color like if they if they say well I really like greens and you know purple or something you know and obviously the amethyst comes to mind or maybe a malachite or a adventuring you know um come to mind with the greens and so you know or jade i and so but then i start thinking about well, what do they need right what do they need and so um if, if someone wants to manifest um i don't know give me an example for me, I'm trying to manifest abundance mm -hmm. in all areas and like spiritual connection and then also real world stuff like money mm -hmm. and job mm -hmm. abundance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like, so, so let's imagine that I'm making a necklace yes. for you. Okay. So, um, so, you know, I would, so part of what I would be interested in is what do you think is getting in your way for the abundance, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you don't have to tell me necessarily if you don't want to, but, but things that I would think of, like, are, okay, so I would use a euconite, and, which is a release, a release stone. I don't even know that yeah, stone. It's, it's actually kind of, I don't think it's very attractive. It's, it's green and pink, <laughs> or salmon color. But I, I will often put medicinal stones in the back of the necklace. Okay. So I'll, like, I might make, so I, like, for you, you know, with your spiritual connections, I might use the amethyst or the malachite, which is about transformation and, like, you know, coming into your own stuff and that kind of thing. Because abundance is also about confidence and those kinds of things, you know, and about moving into those. So it's, like, it's sort of, like, linking all the different pieces yeah. kind of thing. So, um, 
you know, and, you know, some stones around grounding because like to do money abundance, you have to be really, you know, grounded. So I might use some hematite in there or some black tourmaline or something like that. So, I mean, you know, what I do is, and I get all this information, and then what I do is there's there's like maybe, often usually for a necklace, there'll be like five stones I absolutely know I have to have, and I'll put those in a pile. All my stones are in Ziploc bags. So then what I do is I go through all of my stones, which is there's like many. I have a big, huge, I have two big like containers full of them. And I energetically say yes, maybe no. So I go through them all like this really fast and then to figure out what what does this person need. And I'll use my intuition and what I know and all that kind of stuff to do that. And then and then sometimes stones will go there and like I don't remember, you know, I'm, I don't mind my recall is not great. I have stones in terms of like, but I have stones that I don't necessarily know that this means this, right? But I'll say, yeah, this needs to go there. And then sometimes I have to figure out, well, why is that needing to go there? You know, so it's a, it's a combination of a mental and intuitive and artistic process all together. Um, and then, you know, I'll design the necklace and that usually takes, that takes at least a whole day because it's just, you know, I have to figure out, because I'm sometimes combining things that are weird, like, you know, green and pink and blue. I mean, it looks weird <laughs> if you, you know, if you don't do it right, it looks really bad, but yeah. So, um, and then I'll make the necklace and I do, I do regular stringing of beads, but I also do wire wrapping where I put clusters of beads together and make links of chain out of the wire so that they're very, it's very pretty and lighter. It's a little lighter. It depends on, that also depends on taste and stuff. But, um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy making necklaces. I don't make them just to sell in a boutique because I don't feel like, I feel like they're very personal. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. How could you make something and just sell it? Like, oh, this is a love necklace. Well, it might be okay, but it's not, you know, for me, the thing that makes me go is like, you know, I mean, making the necklace at this point, it's not so exciting. I mean, like actually physically making the necklace. It can be very meditative, which is nice, Mm. but you know, there's no learning curve there. But the thing that's exciting is actually talking to the person and designing it and figuring it out and like figuring out what they need and what, what would be beautiful. Yeah. So this might be a question that's hard to answer, but what does an intuitive yes feel like to you? You know, whether you're working with mm-hmm. the crystals or even on the Reiki table mm-hmm. with someone, mm-hmm. like what's, you know what yeah, I, cause I yeah, feel yeah. like that's something that. Right. You know, but sometimes it's hard to articulate, and I'll get people asking me, like, it's hard to connect with my intuition, and right. so sometimes I have trouble articulating it, and I'm wondering if you have any idea of what, like, a, yeah, a yes, yes feels, feels like. like. Yeah. Um, I, can I back, I'm going to back it up a minute, Please. because what I'm going to say is that one of the things that is really important is um, that to develop one's intuition, one has to have some moments of quietude that you can't listen. You have to, the first thing is to know how to listen to your intuition. And to do that, you can't do it if you're always, always busy and you, you're always like on your phone and in your dizzy. you just can't. I don't think you can, personally. I mean, and sometimes we, we develop, it, it becomes honed enough. So even with those distractions, we can hear our tuition. But if you're just starting on that tuition thing and you're wondering, how am I gonna hear a yes? You need to have some quiet. And you need to have that checking in with yourself. You need to work on, like, you know, just that that sense of what it feels like, right, at different moments. 
and you and that checking in is really important but I think a yes to me feels like um, mm, let's see it feels like sunshine kind of Aww. you know yeah. like oh yes you know like that that sort of like when you wake up and you see the sun and it's like uh-huh yeah yeah that's right yeah this day is going to be good that kind of feeling mm -hmm. you know and like yeah it's not quite as like whatever you know it's, it's not disney but you know what i mean I <laughs> it's love like that. yeah but there's that sense of like this is right this feels right and i think i think most people have had that feeling about something maybe a person or a, a choice I mean, we've all had that thing where we make a choice and it feels like, yeah, okay, this is the right one for me, right? And you can start there because I think almost everyone's had that experience. So, you know, how did you know that was the right choice for you? Like, what, what was that feeling like? It's like, oh, well, and it's usually a combination of what we know about ourselves and what we feel about ourselves, right? I mean, like, it's those combinations. Like, like, I would not choose to be an astrophysicist. Right? I mean, you know, I mean, if I decided I wanted to go to school to be an astrophysicist, you know, like people would wonder about that choice just because of my background. And, you know, it's like I didn't like physics at all. Why would I do that? Right? But, you know, when I became a teacher, <laughs> I mean, I knew that even though I had fought it before, that it was the right choice. It was the right choice. And even though I'm not teaching formally in the classroom, it's still the right choice. And it remains the right choice back then. So, you know, I think, I think that people who are developing intuitive practices, there's two things. One is to really meditate. And meditate, yeah, I don't mean like a form of meditation necessarily, but just that, that sense of like being quiet and being able to, to have the sensations in one's body and in one's mind and in one's spirit to be able to have that feeling of like, okay, yeah. Um, and alternatively, I think people sometimes know when they're making a choice that's against their natural flow. And sometimes looking at those moments is instructive to figure out what, what the opposite is, if you will. So both those things, I think, if people are interested in looking at intuitive uh, and to building their intuitive sense of themselves, I think that's, that's something you can start thinking about and doing. It's very wise. I'm wondering if you got that kind of sunshine feeling when you decided to take your huge bike journey. <laughs> can you want to share what that was about? I feel like it's fun. so amazing. Yeah. Literally mind-blowing to me yeah, to yeah. imagine what you did. Well, it's that bike trip. I took a bike trip across the country from uh, Bedford, Massachusetts to Dayton, Washington State. Uh, I went with my partner, um, and we were we were on our bikes for three months, um, and we, we took three months. Now, you know, it takes, you know, younger people were doing it much faster, but that wasn't the point to do it fast, right? It was the point was to experience things. Now, when I first started the trip, it was really, um, when we first planned it, it was, um, my partner was like, I have to do this. That's a lifelong dream of his. And he was turning 60, and he was like, I have to do it right now because I might not be able to do it in five years. And it was like, yeah, good point. So anyway, so the first part of the trip was this frenetic getting ready, which I didn't really think about it. I didn't, I didn't have, it was, it was really driven by him, right? 
So it was like, okay, let's do it. So, you know, we sold a bunch of stuff. We got ready. I got the material. I, you know, went to REI, spent a whole lot of money on tents and things like that, you know. And, um, and then we started. And it was funny because right when we started, I had a little mechanical issue. And um, my partner, my, my wheel wouldn't move. And it turned out it was really simple. But at the moment, he was like, oh, we shouldn't do the trip. And I looked at him, and that's what I had my moment. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> that was my aha moment. It was like, no, we're on this trip. Let's go. Let's figure it out. You know, you're going to let, like, a little, like, obstacle, you know, first dash your dreams. Like, that's not good. And also dash this sort of potential. Like, yeah, this is what we have to do right now. And then as I went along on it, I had a, my best friend tell me, I actually had a big fight with my partner, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know if I can finish, and I'm not going to finish, we're going to fight the whole way, and blah, 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 and my best friend said to me, he said, well, you have to do this, and I was like, yeah, whoa, you're right, I do have to do this, and then I was thinking like, well, if I had to do it alone, what would I have to do, right, and I figured out that if I had to do it alone, what I would need is just a little more money because it was the safety issue, right? I didn't want to stay in campgrounds that felt sketchy by myself as a woman alone. But making that decision that I, was, I could do it alone, I didn't. I mean, we, we kind of made up and went along our way. But I could have done it alone was really important. That was like one of those moments where it was like, yeah, you're right, you know. Um, but that, that sort of moment of being able to sort of say that this trip was mine, not just his, it was mine. Really happened right at that moment when the wheel was stuck. And I was like, you're nuts. You know, I'm going to just fix the wheel. So it turned out the skewer and the, the wheel was not tight. So I just had to like reset it and put the skewer on and then we went along the way. That sounds like a simple fix for someone that knows bikes. Yeah, it was a simple fix. <laughs> not for anyone for me. Who I could show you in two seconds, so no problem. Can you share a little bit with us about how spirituality like helped and played into mm -hmm. that journey? Because yeah. it seems like how, you couldn't let it go, right? No. Like, like no. three months on the road. Right. So, I mean, one of the things I developed was a prayer practice I did on my bike, which was, you know, just sort of like, I have my little like words I say and stuff like that. But you're out in the open. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. It's kind of like, you know. I mean, people talk about God's country or something, and it really is, you know. I mean, we're in the Badlands, and we're going along the edge of the roads, and, like, there's beautiful rock formations and buttes and stuff, and it was like, wow. It just was, it was chill. I had chills, you know, going through these places. So, I mean, the, the beauty of the country, you know, was awe-inspiring, right? But I also had my own personal prayer practice, in, and, and, you know, some of that is just, Again, that quietude, like we're, you're on the road, you're just pedaling, you know, you have choices. <laughs> I mean, some of it is just being able to connect to spirit, which is so abundant in the landscape, too, that, that feeling of connection, you know, that ability to. And then we had some really powerful moments with people where they were just so kind and open that you really gave you some hope and humanity, you know. I mean, there's like... I mean, we went to one town, and we just rolled in, and we heard, you, you want a Coke? We're like, what? Who is that? And then so anyway, this family came out, and they asked if we wanted a Coke, and it was like a little tiny town that had a, like a little, like a sweet shop 
and it, they had different flavored Cokes. You know, so we went in, we got, we got a Coke and um, talked to the, the father and the son and the daughter. And um, it turned out that they had a particular interest in the bike, people running, coming through bikes, and that someone had come in before, and oh, a cyclist had come in and was taking pictures of the mayors of the different small cities. And so they had a book about that. So anyway, but we, so we asked where, where to get lunch. So we go, they, they direct us to a place to get lunch. We go in there, we order our lunch, and the son comes back with the book and shows us the book at the table, you know, as we're eating. And as we go to leave, and so he leaves, as we go to leave, the waitress says, you don't have anything, you don't have to pay us anything because the Phillips family took care of it. Mm-hmm. Oh my that's goodness. Right. That's right. And they, I mean, it was just like a total selfless act of kindness, you know, and that kind of thing is huge. And I think that that's, I mean, that's a lot of what spiritual practice is about too. You know, they were acting very spiritually, I think, by just, you know, paying it forward and really, you know, doing that kind of kindness, that, that kindness. And, um, I mean, you know, just think about it. I mean, we all just did one act of paying it forward a day or something, just little things. Mm-hmm. It would make the world so much better. Yeah. You know, and I think it is really related to being a spiritual person, it's being an open and generous person. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I love that. And I love when you share that message to pay it forward because, I mean, you came to Baltimore and offered such a generous Reiki class of a sliding scale donation. No one was going to be turned away for lack of funds. And that's what you said to everyone, just pay it forward. And that's what you say to me too. And that is just right in alignment with my own values. And then also encourages me to spread that value even more Mm -hmm. and make it even a bigger practice Mm -hmm. than what I do. Um, to, to just hold, allow for other people to join in, to share what, what I have with others mm-hmm. whenever I can. Yeah. And know yeah. that it's going to come back. Right. Right? Right. Right. Well, you know, they say that, you know, things come back to you threefold. Right? Right. So good and bad. <laughs> so, you know, we, we all hope that, you know, we do the good to get the threefold back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I definitely feel like you're doing the good and the most and I just appreciate you so much. Well, I, I love you too, Mary. I love you. <laughs> Pata, how can people find you mm-hmm. if they want to connect or get in touch with the work that you do? Where should we send them? Okay. So if you want to get in touch with me personally, I have I am on Facebook and you you can friend me. Please say that you heard the podcast so I know it's not just a random weird person trying to friend me because I'm a little I try to be discerning. Um, I also, there's a website, thebreakingsciencesproject.com, and the the is really important. So thebreakingsciencesproject.com is another place you can find me. There's a place to leave comments. You can check out the work I'm doing. And I also have a blog, um, the polka dot, again, the the is important, the polka dot journal dot um, wordpress.com. And it, I have another blog that will link you to previous things from that place. I'll put links to all of that in the show notes so that people can definitely find you. And uh, I just want to thank you again for being here. Well, that was fun. It was fun.